This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hey y'all, how you doing? Welcome to an all new episode of the Low Life Podcast. I'm your host, Low Vaughn Roomf. <laughs> y'all, I've been watching Pig Royalty on Discovery Plus, and I'll tell you something, sugar tits. That one just gets me going. It's so good. Um, okay, I need to stop. <laughs> I'm a mess. Um, okay, so Pig Royalty, it's on Discovery Plus, and one of my good friends recommended the show. It was a little bit of a break for me, taking a break from the serial killers and all of the crime shit that I love to watch and the the alien abduction stories and all that stuff. Sometimes you need a breather from that. And pig royalty was the breath of fresh air I didn't know I needed. It's basically about a family in the South and they raise pigs for a living. And I didn't know, but competitive hog contests are a thing. People can make some good money on it. So uh, the show basically follows around these families uh, as they train their pigs and all the drama that ensues. Uh, But there's a bunch of funny one-liners. And I don't know. It's just, again, escapism. It's a great show. Uh, I don't know if it's your cup of tea, but pig royalty, you'll get some good laughs. Like if you're down for like, um, remember Honey Boo Boo and Mama June? Like I love that shit too. So (laughs) this kind of reminds me of that. I hope y'all are having a good week. And if you're not having a good week, don't you fret. My little honey biscuit of love. We got a great show in store for you. My little blueberry muffin top. Before we get into today's episode, can we just talk about Little Nas X? Or should I say Little Nas X rated? With his music video, Monterro, Call Me By Your Name. People are so up in arms about it. People don't like it. A lot of people do, of course, and they're, of course, down to support the arts. Uh, But there are a lot of religious folk that are coming out saying, not cool. How dare you, Little Nas X? We're not for that. I posted his music video as one of like my playlist songs on Instagram. I always play different music, as you guys know. And for the most part, when I put Little Nas on my playlist, people were like, oh, my God, this is the day the video came out. They're like, oh, my God, love that video is so cool amazing yes queen and then of course there were other people like i had a few that said you know low love following you but i'm disappointed by this one disappointed that you'd post a video like this cross the line i'm like how long have you been following me because i crossed that line quite a bit but (laughs) i love crossing that line Uh, but you know i understand that for people who are super religious they could feel offended by that sure everyone's entitled to their own opinions of course Um, I do think that it is art. And if you don't love it, it's subjective to each their own. You don't have to support it. Don't buy the music. Don't watch the video. Um, Don't buy his merch, you know, because we could buy and support whatever artist you love. To see Little Nas X and his music video on the CNN scroll or covered by all these major media news outlets, I'm like, that's what we're talking about these days? Like, what? The news needs to focus on some real shit that's going down in the world, not Little Nas X and his thigh-high boots. Like, who gives a damn about that? But the news is covering it, so it's getting a lot of traction, which is great for Little Nas's career. Wow, like his single is killing it right now. But it surprised me that people are so shocked about something like this because I'm like, really? Like, 
don't you guys remember 1989? When you call my name, it's like a little prayer. I'm down on my knees. I want to take you there. Like a prayer, Madonna dancing around in a Jean-Paul Gaultier bustier around burning crosses with a black Jesus. People were pissed back then. She lost millions of dollars of endorsements. Pepsi dropped her. The Catholic Church denounced her. People were so livid. They couldn't believe she was using religious symbolism in her video um, to promote music. And she's dancing around and just, yeah, people didn't love it. It catapulted her career. Not that she needed that, but I mean, it really put Madonna on the map even more than she already was as a provocateur. But there's so many artists like Lady Gaga when she launched Judas, like, again, Catholic Church came out. How dare you, Lady Gaga? And people weren't happy with that. And there's been so many artists before and after these artists. So when I'm looking at a little Nas X, it's nothing groundbreaking to me. I'm like, we've already been down this road before. You know what I'm saying? So and when it comes to little Nas, I've, I've watched a few interviews with him and he grew up in a Christian house from what I've learned. And uh, he was told from a very young age in this super Christian religious home that being gay was a sin and he was going to go to hell if he chose a lifestyle of homosexuality. And he needed to choose the right path, not the wrong path. And he's been told his whole life from his, his younger years, his formative teenage years into young adult life. He's not even that old now. He's in his early 20s. But this guy has been told he's going to burn in hell if he chooses to be who he was born as. He didn't choose it. He was born gay. And still, according to certain churches, he's going to burn in hell for that. So he said, you know, I've been told I'm going to burn in hell pretty much my whole life. So I just thought, why not shoot a music video there? (laughs) Why not shoot a freaking video dancing with the devil? Because that's where everyone says I'm going anyway. It was kind of just like an ironic way to express himself. And I think turning your pain and shame into art that can help millions of other people to some extent is a beautiful thing. And that's what I see that as for him. And there's a whole bunch of kids out there struggling with their sexuality, not knowing who they are and, you know, and feeling shame for who they, they are and hiding it and suppressing themselves. And maybe they can see someone like little Nas just being who he really is and feel a sense of comfort and feel like they're not alone. That's what I think about. And I know like suicide among teenagers, specifically minorities, black, Latino, um, Asian teenagers who struggle with sexuality is at a high rate. So something like this could hopefully let those people out there, those kids know that they're not alone. and They're not the only ones that have been told they're going to burn in hell if they die. Uh, Little Nas X has gone through it, too, and he's totally fine and he's killing it on the charts. So good for him. So I just look at it like artist subjective. And again, if you don't love it, you don't have to support it. You could put your money where you, you know, artists that you love. You know, it's not everyone's cup of tea is what I'm saying. Happens to be a tea that I actually love to enjoy. (laughs) And and specifically with that video, just the imagery was really cool and the makeup was awesome. And actually, one of my buddies, Anthony Nguyen, who I worked with years ago, we, of course, stayed friends, but he was the mastermind behind all of the beautiful looks in that music video, all of the the makeup and glam. So it's it's pretty cool. He's actually going to come on the podcast and we'll talk about his artistry because it is incredible. Speaking of incredible artists, let's talk about today's guest, Danny Vitale. She's like a warm bowl of pasta bolognese. She's my little Italian queen. She's such a good human. And 
I was excited to have Danny on because I've been wanting her to come on the podcast for a while because she's one of those friends that is very inspiring. She doesn't even realize she's inspired me, but she truly has. And she's a choreographer, a dancer, a producer. She's worked with some incredible artists like the Jonas Brothers, Demi Lovato, Kelly Clarkson, Katy Perry, Halsey. Like she's killing it with all of these amazing artists and she creates really special videos and stuff with these people. But aside from all the accomplishments she has in her career, which of course are super exciting, I'm always interested in knowing about someone's story. And I feel like that's one of the best things you could give to someone is offering your story and sharing that with people. I love hearing where people came from and how they got to a specific place in their life. So of course, I wanted to give you some backstory with Danny and she has a great story. So she kind of shares her background and stuff. So in today's episode, we talk about that. This is actually a two-part situation. So to see someone like Danny who has worked their ass off and built this career for themselves and is so respected in the industry. And, you know, she worked with Demi Lovato. And as you guys probably know, there's a documentary out right now on YouTube called Dancing with the Devil. God, there's a lot of devil talk today. And in that documentary, it's on YouTube. It's great. So it's a several part series. I think there's like six episodes. The first three are already out. But Demi Lovato opens up about all of her drug abuse. She overdosed. She literally shouldn't be alive today. She overdosed and should be dead. But through a miracle, she's alive and well today. Um, Of course, she's gone through it health wise. And she just opens up and lets people, her fans and just everybody behind the velvet curtain that a lot of artists don't want to talk about. And there's a lot of of struggle uh, in the entertainment industry. And I wish I could say Demi's story is an anomaly, but it's not. It's actually very common. Um, She's just choosing to open up about everything. Uh, mental health wise too, which brings in Danny Vitali, our guest. And if you've heard her name before, it's probably because it's been linked to Demi Lovato because at the time of Demi Lovato's overdose, uh, Danny was her choreographer, her creative director, and one of her closest friends. And unfortunately, she got blamed for the overdose and her life was just turned upside down and it just literally was up in flames. It was Oh, it was hell for her. So now with this documentary coming out, of course, Danny's featured in it. um, And she speaks to, you know, her experience and everything she went through um, in the documentary. I wanted to make sure that this episode wasn't all just about Demi Lovato. Like, no, like this episode, I want to introduce you to Danny Vitale, who's an incredible human being and has an incredible story. Demi Lovato happens to be a part of her story, but that's not her whole identity. So We had to split up this episode into two parts. So part one, we're going to talk to Danny and she's going to talk about where she came from. And there's a lot of little golden nuggets of wisdom sprinkled throughout the episode. And then for part two, we go into present day Danny. And of course, we talk about what happened with her and Demi and and how she was able to overcome literally her career imploding and her world turned upside down and how she feels present day. Uh, So we split up the episode again. That's part one, part two. But without further ado, let's jump into Part one of the conversation with Danny Vitali. All right, so our next guest today. Oh my God, I'm so excited to do this. You have a social imprint. You are a queen in the press. <laughs> oh God. I'll give a little background. Born okay, and yes. raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Danny Vitale started dancing at a very young age. 
Uh, she danced her whole childhood. And I didn't know this, but you danced for like super bougie, re- world-renowned ballet companies. Yes, I did. Pennsylvania Ballet. And then what is this one? The Kurov? The, the Kurov. Kurov. Is that what it's? The Kurov Ballet. It is the most famous Russian ballet company. It's been around for centuries. And yeah, that was pretty cool. So you moved to L.A. 18 years old, pursued a professional dancing career. You were awarded a scholarship to study at Edge Performing Arts Center in Hollywood. And then upon graduating, you started touring the world, backup dancing for some big artists. And you performed countless award shows. You've been on many a stage with hundreds of thousands of people who have seen you shaking your booty on stage. Um, And then you became a choreographer and creative director. And yeah, you've been killing it since. You've been on television appearances. You've been in music videos, been on tour. You've accumulated many years of knowledge in front and behind the camera. And uh, you're killing it. Some so you names come read just my to say eulogy? who you've worked with. We got, I've, oh my God, absolutely. Well, I'll probably die before you, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we got Demi Lovato, uh, the Joe Bros. Uh, we have uh, Kelly Clarkson, Rihanna, just to name a few. Okay, but there's others in there too, but you've just... Yeah, you've been, it's you've really been crazy when you, when you think about it. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty crazy list. I got some some notches in my belt for sure. Welcome to the Low Life Podcast, <laughs> Danny Vitali. <Woo>! Yay! <laughs> okay, I have okay. I'm so excited to have you because one, I I just adore you, and you've been like someone that has definitely gotten me through this pandemic. Yeah, um, we with definitely just, have. Yeah, just being a freaking light in my world. Just so people know, like one thing I love is that you Mm-mm. you don't come from Hollywood or the entertainment industry, but you've met you've have a big stamp in it right now, especially in the dance you know choreography world space uh, with music artists. But I just want to get like a little background as to a little baby Danny before you were like yeah. on that stage killing it. Um, just because I think people would be so interested, I got to hear it. You share it with the listeners. Yeah. As a young girl, I was a a complete tomboy. I played soccer and baseball, basketball, you know, all the stuff. I have a little brother, so we were always playing sports and building forts. And, you know, I'm I'm pretty tomboyish, if that's, you know, still a thing. But my mom was talking to a neighbor one day, and my neighbor said, hey, there's a new dance studio literally down the street, like a 50-foot bike ride. I'm going to throw my daughter in it. I wanted to know if you wanted to throw Danny in it. And my mom was like, you know what? Yeah, why not? So she threw me in it. And after a couple of times, I was just like, yeah, this is cool. This is fun. And then another year went by and I wanted to do it again. And then another year and I wanted to do it again, but add more classes. And then it just went by like that. And my mom was like, it just came out of nowhere. You you developed this obscene obsession with with being at that studio and training and learning dance. And yeah. And it, it was uh, when I was eight years old, that's when I really started getting more involved. So I wasn't really that yeah. you know, five-year-old doing those creative dance classes. I, I did mm-hmm. take a minute to start, but it was when I was, when I was around nine or 10, uh, my studio owner at the time asked me to join you know, the competition group and start competing and doing solos and duos. And um, I mean, at, but I was like, I think 10 or 11, I was doing you know, 20 hours of dance already a week. And wow, you were like a little Maddie Ziegler. Yeah, from there, it just you know, kept going. And every year, I kept adding more and more hours and more styles and more um, you know, summer camps and intensives. And it just got really serious. And then it just became this thing that I did every day, all day, until I left Ohio. And my parents were so supportive. They let me do everything. 
and anything. And my mom, my mom got like a waitressing job because it, you know, that stuff's not cheap. My parents worked both, you know, full time. And it got to a point also when I was able to drive, my parents were like, you got to, you have to help us out. Like, this is, this is too much. If you want to go and do these solos and do all this stuff, um, you got to help us out. So I got an assisting job at the studio when I was around, you know, 14, 15. Was that in Ohio or were you in Los Angeles? In, in Ohio. Okay. So I would assist classes and, you know, and, you know, hour for hour, anytime I assisted, I would get an hour free and, you know, I'd clean up and, you know, give privates or subs, you know, subclasses. So I started working like professionally when I was 13, you know, knowing the accountability of showing up and, okay, if I help my teacher for five hours this week, I get five hours of dance for free. So it became this obsession and yeah, it helped out a lot. Look at you, little hard worker. Yeah. And I think it, it was a really good lesson. My, my mom and dad let me live because I, I, I never took it for granted, you know, all those classes yeah. and anytime we went out of town and traveled, like I knew it was a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, you came to L.A. then what you were 18 years old when you came here. Yeah, I just and turned 18, like two weeks fresh, 18. Did you have friends in L.A.? Were you nervous? I knew no one. I met one girl very loosely uh, from my studio and she moved out there. She was like eight years older than me. And I hit her up on MySpace and I said, hey, I'm coming out to L.A. I know we don't really know each other, but. Oh, my God. MySpace. Sorry. Yeah. Just threw me for a throwback with that one. <laughs> you're familiar to me, so I know you won't kill me. Like, it won't be Craigslist killer, but you're the only person I know, in air quotes. Can I come stay on your couch for a little bit? And she said, yeah. And that was it. Wow. I would have been so freaking, like, nervous, scared, like. What about like money? Did you have a little savings? No, nesting? I had like a thousand dollars, like like liquid cash. And that was to like eat, give her money, give her gas money because I didn't have my car yet. Like I had not. I, oh, my God. You didn't even have a I didn't car. Even think about it. I ate pasta sides every day. Like I was just like tunnel vision, dance, 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 work, 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 train, train, train. And I had this fire lit under my ass. When I left Ohio, I had a lot of haters. My dance studio owner at the time was very awful, and she definitely tried to stifle my love for dance and wanting to do it. I think it was now after tons of therapy, I realized she was very jealous and envious of my drive. And Wait, this is your instructor, though? Yes, this was my instructor and studio owner that, like, raised me. And Oh, what a weird thing. Like It was awful. To not be supportive of your student and want them to thrive oh yeah she would make examples out of me she would throw me in the corner of routine she'd kick me out of routines with no explanation and always give us the oh well i'm hard on you because i i, I care about you and i want to shape you so it was this really awful f***ed up way of teaching which now i know is not right abby lee miller vibes so abby lee miller get your head out of your butt and wake up is that show so triggering for you to watch did you ever watch dance moms yeah it's that's it's, it's it's like kind of true because it reminds me of my old studio owner and she's all she's weird. And, and I, mm -hmm. I can't I look at her now and I'm just like, you, you were toxic. But um, <laughs> I owe a lot to her, too, in a way, because she lit a fire under my ass because I couldn't wait to get out to L.A. and prove her wrong. I couldn't wait yeah. to just shove it in her face. I couldn't wait to shove it in so many people's face in my small town in Ohio because they were all like, you know, I was the only kid in my class that didn't go to college. And everyone was like, oh, Danny's mm -hmm. not going to college, you know. You know, went to a college prep yeah. high school. Good luck. See you in a year. You know, and everyone's like, see you back in Ohio soon. You go, you go live out that dream, kiddo. Like, good luck. A lot of them just assumed you would end up coming back, not making it. Oh, yeah. So go live that Hollywood dream. You know, when I come home for Christmas, they'd be like, oh, you, you give up yet? 
you know, like, and that, that went on for about four or five years. So wow, that was, and still to this day is, is a huge driving point of my accolades because I couldn't wait to literally come home and be like, all of you. <laughs> yeah. Wait, didn't you have in Ohio at least that one friend that was just like, you got it, girl. Or we're Oh yeah. I mean I had my... You had a couple at least, like Yeah, I had my family for sure. My mom, dad, my aunt, uncle, they were supportive oh, yeah. of this Grandma. crazy venture. Yes. So supportive. Like when I was broke as f they were sending me, you know, care boxes of food and cookies and toothpaste and body wash. And I mean, they were so, so supportive. And, you know, I come from a very tight knit Italian American family. So anything I needed. They were there to, you know, they jumped in and, and helped me in any way they could in that way. But, you know, and, and I had a couple friends and, and that was it though. You know, like my community was very shady about it for sure. And it was jealousy. You know, you don't, it's hard to leave. It's hard to leave Ohio. It's hard to leave that comfort. So when people do it, I think there's a lot of jealousy revolved around it. Oh, absolutely. Did anyone else from your dance school or that you grew up with, did anyone enter the industry or once you started to, let's say, get successful any of them hitting you up sliding into those dms uh, yeah for sure i would say more like random high school bullies like the girls that were yeah. so mean to me are like hey saw you on the super bowl oh my god i was telling my husband about you i'm like screw you you were so mean to me but yeah i mean oh, that comes with anything you know i think people just want to think that they were nice and helped you along that path of success but uh no but they didn't and bye don't need them in your life anymore. It feels good. It feels good. But yeah, of course, a little vindication. For sure. So I uh, I know you came to L.A. when you were 18 years old and then you ended up, you know, of course, just hitting the pavement, just grinding it out, trying to make some money, honey. And I I actually one of our mutual friends, you know, Janelle. Yeah. And her and I, we we had we were at the flower market the other day and she was saying, oh, my God, was she telling your stories? She was. She was. And I was like, oh, my God, how cute is Danny? And what I love, though, is she shared one story with me about she had come to Los Angeles from Arizona and she didn't really, you know, have any friends or anything like that, really. I mean, she was kind of figuring out not a lot of money in, to her name. I think she was working like at Chili's and then Chili's had closed down. So then she didn't know you yet. And it was, I guess, uh, one of your mutual girlfriends that was like, oh, my girl Danny works at, uh, not Wood Ranch. Saddle What's Ranch. it called? Saddle Ranch. Yeehaw! On Sunset Wood Ranch Boulevard. Is bomb too. Yes. So then, so then that situation happened where I guess you ended up not even knowing Janelle. Nope. But you totally vouched for her and ended up getting her this deal. Yeah, she walked. I'll, I'll never forget it. She walked in and we had these things every Thursday. It was called like Hiring Thursdays. And... You know, that's when everyone would come in and bring their applications. And I mean, this line would be down the block for people wanting a job to work there. Saddle Ranch was the hot spot. It was the hot spot. The money was great and everyone wanted to work there. So every Thursday was like the casting for Saddle Ranch. And I was the head hostess at the time. And I remember Janelle came in. She was so cute and she was like cute and fun and this and that. And she walked in and she probably said something funny or offhand. And I did the same. and We were laughing. And I remember at the time we we were swamped with employees. Like we, we couldn't hire any more people. And I remember my boss being like, I'm just taking these applications, you know, in case people quit or get fired, but we're not hiring today anymore. I'm like, yeah. okay. So Janelle came in and we hit it off and I didn't had no idea who she was or whatever. And then I took a resume and I was like, I have to get this girl a job. Like I, I see my, my, I was 
just in her shoes like three months ago, two months ago. Yeah. I need like she's so cool. And I ran up to my boss, who's like one of our best friends still to this day. And I was like, you need to give this girl a job. Please, 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 please. And I begged him. I begged him. And, and it happened. And it happened. And we became best friends. And then we wound up living together. And we're still best friends to this day. It was it's it's a cool story. Yeah, so freaking sweet. But I love that you totally vouched for her, and you're like, she's an amazing employee. Yeah, she's had a hard nothing worker. Nothing about her. She, if yeah, she was, Janelle's like, I could have been like the worst, laziest. They're like, do you know um, her? I was like, yeah, I've known her for years. Like old friend through a friend. Like she's so smart, so talented. And, and I'm sitting there like, oh god, if she sucks, I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, I know. Thank God she pulled through. I mean, Janelle's a great worker, and she was killing it as a server at Saddle Ranch. I'm sure getting them tips. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hair thinning impacts a lot of us. In fact, over half of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. It's not only common, it's normal. Join over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. I've been recommending it to my friends and family. I take it. My mama, the queen takes it. Queen, you love yeah. it. Oh, yeah. I recommend it to my hairstylist. I recommend my sister-in-law and even my niece. We range in age from like 22 to 67. They're loving it. Yeah, they are. It's a great Mother's Day gift. Oh, I love it. It's amazing. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LOWLIFE. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code LOWLIFE. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code LOWLIFE. And we're back. So, okay, I want to go back to you come to L.A. and now you've been doing background dancing. So the thing that is like, like I'm trying to learn when it comes to the world of dancing or just entertainment in general is a lot of people ask like how I got into the business. Um, and I, I have roots here. So I had, I guess I didn't have a leg up in a sense, but I felt like I knew certain people. Yeah. Um, so I had a little bit of a network of like a couple photographer friends and stuff. And I mean, I was young, dumb and broke and, you know, it, 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 as most of us were getting into this. Yeah. And you don't have that up industry. Um, you don't like second guess yourself. You're just like, fuck it. I'm just going to do this and put myself out there. And there, it's like that little kid mentality. Yeah. So, but for me as a business owner, I, I'm marketing myself in a sense as a stylist, as a dancer, you are marketing yourself. I do know that, mm -hmm. but you're part of an ensemble back like several dancers. Yeah. So do you just start throwing yourself out auditions? Like, how do you get to, I'm just so curious. Like you went from a backup dancer, which you still do background dancing. Is it backup or background? I don't even know. I would say, right it would say backup, backup professional. Ba yeah. Okay backup dancer uh but transitioning to that role of like a choreographer creative director and really leading a situation for a tour or a music video so i want to say like first how did you start it out like getting into it and then how the hell did we end up here where like i'm still trying to yeah. figure that out to be honest <laughs> yeah no. and yeah oh and for the listeners to know like you're all of what 29 i'm 30. you're not even you're th okay 30 you literally <laughs> i just turned 30 okay. now yeah, which is so young. So like to have this type of career uh, under yeah, your belt. No, you're, you're right. And, and I'm very thankful. But yeah, I mean, long story short, it is it is a lot different today um, in 2021 for backup dancers. And it's hard 
to solicit advice to these kids because, you know, it, it times are changing and, and people are getting jobs in different ways. And, you know, I'm hiring different than how I was getting hired, you know, 10 years, eight yeah. years ago. So, um, you know, I, I did a year of studying at a studio called Edge Performing Arts Center. And there I studied, you know, jazz, hip hop, jazz, jazz, funk, ballet, tap, musical theater, like everything. And I basically was like a kickstart pack of, hey, this is what you're getting into. And it, and it makes or breaks. It's, they pick 20 kids every year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, hundreds of hundreds of kids audition all over the world. They pick 20 to really focus on and, and mold and, you know, kickstart them into the industry. So while I was doing that, you know, I met a lot of choreographers and teachers because these educators come and they're like, oh, the, the edge scholarship kids. Like there's a very um, elitist. I didn't want to use the word vibe, but that's the only word that's coming. Yeah, it's elevated. It's elevated. Yeah. So so at that point, you know, I was meeting some people, but never at the personal level of like, hi, my name's Danny. But at that point, I knew, you know what I have? I really do have it like I can I can do this. You know, I can execute these these steps from these choreographers like I, I think I got this. So yeah. graduate. From the program after a year, I sign with an agency. And at that point, it gets really daunting because you become this newbie. You have nothing on your resume and you're just thrown into a pool of hundreds of other dancers from this agency. And I remember going to calls where, you know, I would they would be like, OK, we le- we're looking for a five, six um, Caucasian female with hazel eyes and brown hair. I would go to these calls, these dance calls. There would be 800, 900 girls there. And oh my God. at that point, I was like, holy, fuck, this is going to be a lot harder than I thought. And at that point, I looked at myself as a product and I said, OK, what differentiates me from all these other Sally next doors? You know, what, is it my training? Is it my relationships? Is it my personality? Is it my freestyle? Is it, you know, and I really started dissecting who Danny was as a product and as a dancer. And I think making that separation early on helped me because I think a lot of people don't do that until later. And that really was helpful because I looked, I was able to look at myself as a product, not as like a human, right? Mm. In, in a positive mm-hmm. way, not, not like degrading, but I was able to take the emotions sure. out of it and be like, you know what? You suck at hip hop. You need to get your ass into hip hop. You are not going to freestyle, you know, and really take those, you know, lessons. Anytime I went to audition, if I didn't make it or if I got cut early, like I really would study and, you know, look inward be like, all right, what can I fix? What can I get better at? Because I hate when people just go and they're like, well, they didn't like me. That sucks. <laughs> There's like 90% rejection when it comes to this oh, dance world, so I'm sure. Funny story. If, if you, if, I mean, you're not like looking at my dance resume, but I always tell my students this or people yeah. that I'm training. My resume is very, very long as a dancer. I booked solely off an audition two jobs. I am a terrible auditioner. Terrible. Wait, solely off auditions. How many auditions did you go on? I probably around 5,000. Okay. Everything oh else, God. I'm not kidding you, was booked like word of mouth, friend of a friend, someone vouching for me through the grapevine. Like my work ethic, my personality, and my talent got through people's mouths. Mm. And, I, and at that point, I knew I was so bad at auditioning. I was like, all right, I got to fucking figure out. And I was like, every time I'm on a job, I have to be the best one on the job. I want to be the earliest, the best, the most in shape, the most put together, the most respectful, the one that knows all the steps, knows everyone's steps. And I was like, I have to outshine dancers in on the job. Mm-hmm. And that you did. And that was that. So 
I would say after a couple of auditions, you know, and meeting people and taking classes, you know, and, and, and that whole networking thing, that's when I really, you know, started to work and started to book jobs. And then one led to two, to led to five, to led to 10. And then that was that. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to know which gig did you get where you're like, oh my God, because like, this is my moment. This is my freaking oh, shit. Britney Spears circus tour moment. I had could have been that. Did you ever work with Britney? No, that's one person I have not worked with. Let's just mm. say yet. Let's put it out there. Yeah. Just having to come back. Yeah. But what's one, what's one big one where you're like, oh my God, this is like, this is a big one for me. There was two. I, I, uh, or two. There, yeah. Yeah. I would say they were going to redo Soul Train. Oh my god. The original Soul Train. Train. They were going to redo it. I went to all like of the TV show. Yes. From like the 70s. Yeah. My mom was on it. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Duh. Yeah. So love it. They were gonna redo it. I went through all of these auditions, all this stuff, and I wound up booking it. Wound up booking it. Did one rehearsal, show got canceled. But at that point, I was like, wow. Oh, damn. I know. It was, it was I was so, so upset about it. Cause I was like, you know, that's my this was my moment. I I felt like I was being hired as Danny and I was really excited, but cool enough when that got canceled, that choreographer also at the time choreographed for Rihanna and she remembered, you know, me from that experience and why was she involved in it? Yeah. She was the choreographer for Soul Train or was going to be the choreographer for Soul Train. Oh, Rihanna's choreographer. Yes. Okay, she was going to do Soul Train, and then she brought you into Rihanna's camp. Yes, and then she hired me <sighs> wow. on touring with Rihanna. So that, I was like, you know what? I That didn't work out for whatever reasons, and this choreographer, Hi-Hat, which I owe so much to, she really put me on the map in, in you know, like the hip-hop world, and she... Which wasn't your usual thing. Like, you're a ba- classic ballet dancer. I, I, at that point, marketed myself as, yeah, commercial... Back, like uh, jazz, musical theater, ballet, that girl. And it, it worked, but I didn't work a lot. You know, it, it worked. I'm curious, is that girl, if you end up marketing yourself in that way? I mean, again, I'm kind of new to, I've, I've slept with dancers. I love dancers. I'm best friends with dancers, clearly. But like for, in my head, like you have to do freestyle hip hop and like for music videos, right? Like, is there is there a big space for like if you're like I specialize in tap and jazz like there, I don't know yeah it's, there is it's it's not as pop culture like let's say like you know Instagram and and, and uh, you know YouTube heavy but you know it's like marvelous Miss Maisel the Morning Show you know okay. there's those things that amazing you don't think about that those dancers are booked all the time you know there's choreographers that do that stuff all the time you know like those classic Old Navy commercials or the Target commercials like those yeah those dancers are being used on those projects and it's, it's great. But I think at that point too, I realized, wow, I was pigeonholing myself as what I thought I identified as, as a dancer, but I could actually train in this style and then get really good at this style also. And if I can just do everything, my wallet's going to be fat. (laughs) Like why wouldn't I, I? Yeah. So I have to say, uh, besides you being a great dancer and a great human, you are a great businesswoman. You definitely have a sound mind when it comes to finances and that analytical business side. I think you definitely use both sides of your brain that left the creative side and the analytical side, which is 
a unicorn experience. Yeah. Not many people can do that. No, because I, I noticed that you are good when it comes to budgeting and financing and figuring out rates and all that kind of thing. Like you are definitely like to be fully aware of what's happening in the kitchen as well as on the dance floor. You know what I mean? Which I think gives you a serious competitive advantage over a lot of creatives because a lot of people just avoid that. They don't want to talk numbers. And I feel like you love to talk numbers. You're like, yeah, I want to know. Like, let's let's break down the rate. Like, let me figure out. Yeah. I mean, going I still on here. count on my fingers, but like, I'm so, so into all that stuff because, you know, at the end of the day, like you can be creative and have amazing projects, but if you're not being taken care of and people aren't, and people aren't being taken care of. And, and I think what upsets me is that this is my profession, you know, yeah. doctors that are professionals or uh, any sort of profession is financially taken very seriously. And ours, you know, and, and yours, like in the entertainment industry, I feel like a lot of people like laugh at, oh, I'm a professional makeup artist, stylist, hairstyle. You know, they're like, oh, a professional. I'm like, yeah, we've dedicated our lives and our craft. I'm like, wait, people think that, Danny? <laughs> I'm over here. <laughs> I didn't know that. I no. know, like, just because um, I don't have a master's doesn't mean I'm not a professional. I will say that people do say, like, along the, for my profession, like, oh, you love clothes. Yes. Like, really? Like, oh, like, Danny loves a good beat. You know, she loves to just dance. She loves to make up little turn- dances in her living room. Like, y- yeah. And they kind of look at it. Moments like pop culture moments. And like the stuff that's the yeah. most choreographed is the stuff that people don't even realize that's choreographed. Is the that's very part. true. Yeah. So, OK, you were dancing for Rihanna, which I'm sure paid very well um, to be on tour with her. I would think. I don't know. Are you allowed to say like, oh, yeah, that that gig pays great. Just for someone out there who's like their dream is to dance for a huge pop star like a Rihanna or a J-Lo. I will say Haley Fitzgerald came on and said J-Lo, that gig, well, she talked about the Super Bowl paying like pennies. Pennies. Um, Pennies. I was like, what? That is the funniest thing. I did Super Bowl 49 with Katy Perry and you know, your dream. Oh my God, you're on stage with the shark. Yes, Scott, my assistant was right shark. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was the one. He actually made left shark look like an asshole. Like, it wasn't left shark's fault. It was Scott being like, trying to just like do the most shine i was like you relax you're in a shark outfit but (laughs) but those gigs don't pay that great but going on tour does that i mean not the best pay it's decent you know and and it's no reflection of the artist it's the reflection of our no it's the reflection of our industry standards and where our uh our minimum wage is and our minimum wage as a dancer a backup dancer on tour has not changed in about 15 years really yeah it's really messed up so it's no reflection of but you're making salary though right you're making a weekly salary, but you're also destroying your body six days a week and traveling. And it is not a salary that a professional athlete, because at that, at, Which when you're on you a would tour, be considered. exactly, you're, you know, every night you're performing 150 minutes in heels, costumes, chain, like, you know, what, what NBA star plays seven games a week and travels and eats like shit and, you know, sleeps in a bus. Like it's, it's ridiculous. And, and you know, it's it's good money as a dancer. You, the goal is always to book a tour and, and pocket that money and, and you know, get a kickstart. But... $100,000 a year. No. Le- 95. Nope. 80. 70. How long, how long are you going on the tour for? Okay, I'm going to say you do one year tour, which I think, is that normal? Uh, like it's year? not anymore. I would say it's like they're three-month runs at this point. Okay, so let's say you're going to do a... Three, two three months so half a year two legs of the tour as okay they so, say so, in the so let's say six months six months in 
and you're booking, we won't say an artist. Let's just say a, it's a big artist, though. Okay. And then we could use our imagination. So you, you're doing, you're touring for six months. You're touring for six months out of the year. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And it's uh, international. So you're going to be in the States, then you're going to Europe, Asia, everywhere else, too. Do you really want to know? I would love, I, I actually would love to know just because. $45,000. Wow. Yeah, I mean that that is that's also I'm I'm going off of industry. That, that's minimum. like an industry. Yeah, industry minimum of what tours are 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 typically eighty percent of tours are typically. Wow. Okay. So, uh, I guess there are a lot of perks though that come along with it because, well, and and I will say if you're making like the forty five thousand forty five thousand for the half the year. You typically, I assume, a dancer wouldn't necessarily need to have like a home base. Like maybe they could a lot of dancers, put a lot in savings because they're yeah. not having like a mortgage. A lot of dancers like will run out their apartments or, you know, do stuff like that to be able to, you know, s optimize their savings. But, you know, at that point, a lot of kids have debt and they're paying off yeah. stuff. And a lot of dancers I've seen do stupid shit and get really excited that they're making consistent money like that for a while and they buy dumb stuff and then. You know, six months, a year later, they're like, they've ripped through their tour savings also, you know? Yeah. Well, and by the way, for listeners out there, for some people making $45,000 a year is like, you're doing great. And it is to an extent. But I also have to put in retrospect that you're making $45,000 a year to come back and live in Los Angeles, which is not great. So also, um, which people don't understand really tough is you're coming back and you don't have a job. You know, you, you're having to start again with Sally next door. No matter what you just did, you're going into that next audition empty handed. You, you know, it's like you did it and that's it. And you're and you're back to wherever like the new kids just moved, you know, and and sometimes when you come back from tour, it's even harder to get back into it because you've been gone for so long. So it's like, um, what's that saying? Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. You know, so it is. I've seen a lot of friends and, you know, me too, that have gone on, you know, three year runs with, you know, Katy Perry or Taylor Swift, Beyonce, and they come back it's really hard for them to get back in because people forget that they're here. So they're having to constantly remind, hey, I'm, I'm not on tour anymore. Oh, right. They've literally been off the, the scene. Exactly. So people like forget. Oh. They're like, oh, you know, you know, Danny's been gone for two years with Rihanna. So, you know, you just become that girl and then you're back and people just assume you're still gone with Rihanna or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Busy doing that. Yeah. So and then, it, you know, it, it takes a minute to like get back into it. But. Oh, man, that's. That's really stressful. Yeah, it's stressful. So you have to make sure you're like financially planning ahead. Oh, yeah. Or like really saving just in case, you know, you don't book something. Now, the thing is, though, once you go on a tour with someone like a Rihanna or um, I know one of my best friends uh, danced for Justin Timberlake. And and I know Justin is like super specific with who he has for his dancers. And he's worked with them forever. And for the most part, they're really taken care of. Um, and I think, and from what I've learned is some artists do fight harder for their dancers. Absolutely. Like, I, I want to make sure th this, like I've heard Janet Jackson, oh, what a queen, oh, but God. I've heard from several people, whether it be hair or makeup or styling or dancers, choreographers that she wants her team to be taken care of. So they'll make financially a little bit more than, I don't know, like, a. Gwen Stefani, or I don't know, any no, other person out there. There are, there are some more artists that are definitely more involved in those conversations of budget. You know, there's a lot of artists that like, that's something that they shouldn't think about or worry about or, or even know about. Right. And, but then there yeah. are some artists that are very conscious of it who 
have been dancers like Janet or, you know, or Justin, like people that I think understand that craft and the severity of it and how much it takes. Those are the ones that really care. And they and they're in those conversations of what are my dancers making? What how are my dancers living? What hotels are my dancers? You know, there are those ones. I mean, there's 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 quite a good handful of those. And those are the artists that you really want to dance for. And absolutely. it's, It's yeah, that that's a goal and dream in itself to be appreciated and acknowledged and taken care of um, because, you know, you're giving your body and your soul and every ounce of yourself for these people for, you know, you're leaving your families, your relationships, you're leaving everything and, and, and doing what you love for and with this person and, you know, keeping them safe at, at night on stage. And it's a lot of responsibility and it's really cool when yeah. you work for an artist that appreciates that and acknowledges that. And I mean, Justin Have- was one of the first, and I was almost only artist that unionized his tour so that the dancers got oh. a SAG after contract. Mm. And it didn't it didn't pick up after that. I think it was too early in the world for people to even like swallow that. But it was really cool. Wow. He 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 made that big initiative. And uh yeah. He's Good awesome. for Justin. I know. Good for Justin. Good for Justin. I I don't like him, but you know what? <laughs> Don't like what he did to I'm, Britney. I'm a back. I I'm still, a backstreet. I've been uh, 98 degrees in backstreet girl. So, oh my god, 98 degrees. <sighs> yeah, I was never an insane girl. Or never. Uh, yeah, insane, right? Yeah. Yeah, insane. All right, sorry to interrupt, but we'll be right back. All right, now let's get back to the show. Okay, so when you started to dance for Rihanna, you went on that tour. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing I'm curious about is transitioning from the dancer role, and you're still young at this point. Yeah. To, I, is it fair to say that you are elevating yourself in a way if you become a choreographer because you're essentially now the one who would be involved in hiring, teaching, all of that. Yeah, you absolutely. would probably make more money. So how do you? even transition to that from the dancer without because I feel like you you've done that in Pre- a really quick amount of t- pretty seamlessly and a really uh rapid pace as opposed to I always think of choreographers like oh I've you know I'm been doing it for you know 10 years in the game or or 20 years and now I'm transitioning to the next phase which would be choreography but you're doing it hand in hand like you'll still do some backup dance work but you also are creative directing and and doing choreography which is awesome but how do you make that little leap? Sorry, I'm asking all these questions. I love I'm just it. So I love curious. It. I'm, this is amazing. Um, you know, the leap was always daunting because I've watched friends do it or try to do it. And I was always really nervous. I'm like, when is that day going to come? When is that day going to come where I'm going to have to throw in the towel and make the leap? And I always just told myself, I'm like, you know what? Whenever opportunities start presenting themselves, like, I'm never going to give up the dream. Like, obviously, if some choreographers call me now and like, they're like, hey, will you do La La Land too? Absolutely. Yes. Like, I will yeah. be there. But it was also being conscious of this is what I want to do. I want to choreograph. So I'm going to really devote my time and energy into promoting myself like that, branding myself like that, you know? And Oh, like on social media. Yeah. And okay. And, and and telling people like, you know, I am a choreographer. And that was really hard for me to say for I mean, even still to this day, I'm like, it's really hard to be like, I am a choreographer. Like, because I oh, look up look to choreographers. You. I know I look up yeah. to choreographers. and I, I don't see myself at their level. And I'm always constantly trying to learn and be better and, you know, create magic like they have. And but I, I will say. While I was dancing, I was always so into the behind the scenes aspect of it. So while I was always on set or in rehearsals or at production rehearsals, I was always the dancer that wasn't on the like the phone on their phone on the side or, you know, 
kikiing with the band or whatever. I was always at the front, eavesdropping in on the conversations that the artist was having with the choreographer, the choreographer with the director. Like those conversations always fascinated me. And I love listening in on lighting, talking to video, talking to blah, blah, blah. Like it was just so fascinating to me. And I, I, at that point when I was on set and doing stuff like that, I was just like, wow, I, I can't wait to do that one day. And I want to assist people. So I started assisting a couple choreographers and I was learning more and more. And I'm like, yep, this is what I want to do. Like, I'm obsessed with this. I love this. And yeah, at that point, so I, you know, I was friends with the Jonas Brothers and, um, how did you meet them? Was that like at a tour situation? Yeah. On camp, the Camp Rock 2 tour. That was, that was when I met Camp that. Rock 2. Oh my God. Camp Rock. Camp was Rock. That, did, <laughs> wait, were you part of the whole like Camp Rock choreo? Oh yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun. So I met them. It wasn't Demi in that too, right? Yeah. It was Demi and the Jonas okay. Brothers. And that's how I met okay. them. And you know, at that point, I started like choreographing some stuff on the tour. Like I was dance captain and, you know, helped, you know, change some stuff here and there. And, you know, the Jonas Brothers saw that or saw that I was a leader and they were like, okay, can you choreograph this and this and this? And it kind of just became this thing. And, you know, Nick at this point, Nick Jonas broke out to do solo stuff. And that's when he came out with. Oh, that's right. Jealous, which at the time I was like, this is a weird song that blew up. But he was like, hey, can you come and choreograph this music video for me? I'm like, yeah, I brought a friend. That was jealous. <laughs> Stop. Wait, yeah. you did the choreo for that? Choreo, choreo and I'm dancing in it. Yeah. Wow. But here I am just doing a homie a favor and then it's like this big thing. And so I did that. And then I, another friend of when mine. When you do that homie a favor, though, that homie just happens to be a Nick Jonas, Jonas brother. who Right. Uh, but do you, did you know like, okay, because I remember trying to figure this out in my styling career. Like, did you know like, all right, maybe I should charge for this or or did you just do it more as a favor i did it more as a favor i was like you're my friend smart you're cool like i i wasn't even because i at that point didn't see myself as a choreographer so i was like yeah i'll make Mm. up these little steps for you like whatever and then another friend of mine but that became like part of your reel though like it's still in there today yeah that's a big video it's gotten like almost a billion views if not more like yeah it's it's huge so um you know and then and then word of mouth just kind of started to happen like in my little world like hey danny choreographs too and she dances and so then people would be like hey can you come Mm. choreograph this can choreograph this and you know so i started doing little stuff here and there and it wasn't until demi asked me to choreograph the tour and you know i did promo runs with her and then when she asked me to do the tour you know, I choreographed it. I, you know, helped creative direct it. And, you know, I did that with her for over a year. And at that point, people were seeing the work I was producing with her and and loving it and loving it. And choreographers were coming to the shows and, and, and writing me and they were like, wow, this is this is epic. But at that point, I've already done so many tours and this and that. Like, it was really easy for me. And yeah. I was like, holy, f-. that was my OK, I'm good at this. I need to start having more confidence in this. And, you know, I think this this was my leap off into another pond. Was the Demi tour. Wow. Yeah. But the that Demi that's tour. Definitely, you know, there was like other random stuff that I would choreograph, like little baby stuff, but not, nothing like rock solid. You know, I did some stuff for Panic at the Disco, right. but all that stuff was definitely through relationships. I I've never been like pitched for a choreography job and then got it. It's it's it is always back then. Then or an agency is sending you out as a choreographer. Oh, this is the best part. 
while I was with my agency at that point, I was like, hey guys, I choreographed this Nick Jonas Jealous video. I've done some stuff for Demi, blah, blah, blah. Would you rep me as a choreographer? They're like, mm, we're, we're, we have a lot of choreographers. Like, you know, we rep. Oh, wow. And they wouldn't sign me as a choreographer for, for forever. And I kept asking, kept asking. And I was like, hey, I really want to make my way into chore- choreography. Like, can you help me? Can you support me? And and tell me what I need to do branding wise and like what I have to put on the internet. Yeah, like just push me to the side. They did not believe in me. So I was like, screw you. I'm out this bitch. Yeah. Did you end up leaving that agency for good? Oh, yeah. Dance. And I mean, they never signed me as a choreographer, but yeah, I left them for good. And then I was agentless for about three, two, three years doing everything on my own. And I just signed with an agency about a year ago. What made you decide to sign with one? Um, at that point, I've already I've had stuff on my resume and I felt confident in myself to be like anyone would be really excited to have me and to represent me yeah. and to push me and to p- present me into people or rooms that I wouldn't be in, you know, like commercials and, you know, fashion stuff. And I'm going to let you. But you were an advocate for the dancers and like you freaking got on your soapbox and you made some shit happen. I made that soapbox is- in my garage and I just hopped on it and didn't care who was listening it's a ballsy move but you went against the system in a way or corporate vibes you went against that uh and spoke up and i think speaking up and knowing your worth could be oh it could be scary to do that i've had to do it with clients and you doing that but like i would love for you to share that situation with how you handled that, what the hell went down. And I think it was, wasn't it for Rihanna? Yeah, it was. It, you know, it was for her VMA performance, uh, for her Vanguard performance, you know, which is the biggest. Perf- oh, she was winning the Vanguard Award? Yes. So it's the biggest performance of the VMAs, right? Yeah. And I'm doing this and, you know, I got hired uh, with a bunch of other dancers that have danced for her over the years. It was, it was an honor, 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 honor to be thought of and booked and this and that, right? So we're like, holy f- we're doing Rihanna's Vanguard VMA performance. Like, yeah, epic. Wow. Like, she hasn't hit the stage since then, mind you. That's the thing that's crazy about Rihanna. Like, she hasn't put out an album quite some time. No, she did an- anti right after that. Went on tour for like a year or whatever. And that was it. Like, I've done that was like, like her last big TV performance was that performance. Like, was that the, I'm trying to remember costuming for it. Are we talking like. I was in the bubblegum uh, pink. Off-white. Was it off-white or the, hood by air? It was, it was basically, or Balenciaga, but it was like stirrup pants that were like. Okay, I was in a full pink latex, full onesie, turtleneck. Hot. Full, full onesie, right? La- Sounds so uncomfortable. Hot pink latex. And Rihanna was like, Danny, you tried on it. I want to see what it looks like on you. And I was like, oh. So we had that. Then we had, I think it was hood by air. Okay. Whatever that is. And then we had these custom, her stylist at the time, Mel, put in these like custom pink hoodies. So there, there was a hoodie on top of the pink latex, long sleeve. Then on top of that was a plastic corset that went into stirrup thigh high corsets. Casual. <laughs> and then on top of that, there were leather, uh, patent leather, pink thigh high boots. And then on top wow. of that, there was a wig. No. A wig and then a wig cap on top of the wig. Oh my God. I'd never been so hot in my entire life. Oh yeah. Sweating your tits off on stage. The opening of her performance was her OGs, like the people that have been dancing for her for years. Like she hired us all back, you know, because I I did her first Grammy performance of We Found Love with Coldplay. That was my very Oh, that was an amazing performance. Yeah. So it was really emotional and um 
really cool to have like all. Of- and you hadn't seen her in what a year or so? Yeah, yeah, like a year or two. Yeah, so it was like a big reunion for all of us, and um, it was really cool. But anyway, so you so you booked this gig. Sorry, we're booked the go dream back gig. To booking it. So excited yeah. with all my old Rihanna friends. We get to see her again. Blah blah blah. And I get quoted a beautiful SAG after rate. And I'm stoked. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go be in New York for three weeks with Rihanna and the VMAs. And here's my union contract. And we get to awesome. we get to New York. And I get an email from my agent saying, oh, just kidding. It's not union. And I'm like, well, that is awful because that's like 75% less than what I thought. And at this point, yeah. I was taking jobs strategically based off of union because I had health care. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I would have said yes to the job if it wasn't union. So okay. at this point, there was a lot of us that were like, what the fuck? Because I'm taking time away from working union and having health care. So it was like, great. Now I'm going to be gone for a month. I'm not going to be contributing to my health care. It's almost the end of the year. You know, you have to start thinking about that stuff. Like no matter how cool and your rate's going to be cut in half. Yeah. Because no a non-union cool, rate is shitty. And that's what people are like, but it's Rihanna in the Vanguard Awards. It's like, yeah, I get it, but I've done cool shit before. And at this point, I need health insurance and I need money and I need a future. So, you know, yeah. you have to weigh out those, weigh out that stuff. And uh, so I get that quote. I'm pissed. Everyone's pissed. We're writing emails. Nothing's making sense. It feels shady. It's kind of weird. We still don't have our per diem um, situated, like our rate situated. Meanwhile, we've been in New York for a week at this point dancers there's some girls that are so broke they don't even have money to eat so i'm lending money to dancers how many dancers were there for this performance oh my god there was like 40 oh wow yeah and at this point you know there's a lot of dancers that are brand new and they were a part of other parts of the performance that they're like this is my big first job like i only have 200 bucks to my name and i need per diem to eat like how much do they usually give for a per diem like 50 40 40 bucks maybe Okay, so like Chipotle for lunch and then a decent dinner. Yeah, but nothing and like crazy we're staying in, in a New nice York. hotel and like you're going to want to order room service when you get back and, you know, like things like that. And it's like if you don't have per diem, you're ripping through your money. Oh, hold up. So if you are being put up at a hotel for like a VMA performance like the Vanguard, I thought the per diem covers whatever's outside, but like hotel, anything you charge the hotel, which I would love to do is I... When I would be sent out for a client, like I'm ordering room service, but that's not part of my per diem. That's part of your your deal. Credit. Yeah, no. Yeah, like no, I I charge everything to the room. Like here you go. Like, yeah, no, you got, that, no that dancers can't do that. Nope. Oh. Yeah, I know. That comes out of your because room service is crazy expensive. Yeah, exactly. No, that that's that comes out of your own whatever. If you want to do that, or if you want to Uber Eats or whatever, like whatever you put into your body is coming out of your pocket. Unless it's at the venue, you know, you're eating catering or crafty, like, sure. obviously that's covered by them. But I'm so I love how I'm so concerned with the food. Yeah, <laughs> that's I know. Me too. I'm like, wait, I'm like, what I am need I to know eat? Yeah. how much are you getting? And yeah. yeah. So okay. like, per diem wasn't uh, solidified at that point, because if it's union or non-union, it's a different rate. And at this point, the dancers were needing because they were they were poor. And that at that point, I was like, this, this is f-ed up because we're across the country some of these girls aren't eating and don't have money to eat and don't want to keep borrowing money from other dancers and whatever. So at this point, I'm like, hey, let's start emailing our agents and like take a stand. And everyone was terrified. No one wanted to say anything. No one wanted to say like, hey, we need this to be union and we need a per diem. And and then we had like a SAG after rep that like tried to con us into like thinking that she 
had our backs and she didn't. And it just turned into this whole disaster. Wait, someone from SAG didn't have your back? She like wasn't our representative. She was like the set. I I don't even to this day, I don't even know what her role was, but she was just trying to throw us under the bus and like get the gossip. Like it was just fucked up. But yeah. So, you know, at this point now the camp, you know, the choreographers, the, the producers, they're all hearing, you know, our chit chatter of like what's going on. And no one wanted to speak up. No one wanted to stand up. And at this point, I was fed up. I was just like, we're doing the biggest, best job right now, like that could be existing. And how are we not knowing a what we're making B, what we're like, it, it was just f-ed up. And then other agencies like other dancers with other agencies, their rates were still union. I'm like, have yours changed yet? They're like, no. So that oh. was that was when it was really pissing me off because I'm like, what's going on here? Like, who's dropping the ball? And I was pissed. And, I, you know, you, you f- with my money. I'm going to I'm going to come after get you him, and, I don't, Danny. I, and I don't care who I'm taking down in the on the way there. But people get worried about doing that because they think, oh, I won't get to work with Rihanna ever again or yeah. get booked on a gig if I'm the one who like ruffles feathers and stuff like that. No one wants to be the problem. No. And it sucks because after that, did I work with that choreographer ever again? No, I didn't. But <laughs> I was like, you know what? One day she'll know what I actually did. And, 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 and that stance I took was needed. And. You know, I think she would have done the same thing in my in, you know, my shoes. But, you know, so long story short, not getting into details and naming out names. I stood up for everyone. I stood up for myself and I caused a lot of disruption within, you know, everything. And everyone at the end of the day got their check. And it was like the day before the job. And, you know, the agent writes back, oh, wow, you know with a lot of my hard work, I have finally figured out what the issue was and you will be getting a union rate. And it was this whole thing. And I was like, you shady motherfucker. I am out of here. (laughs) Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye. Wow. I'm sure the dancers were appreciative of it. Yeah. So there was a couple of them that really like came up to me and were crying. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. And then years later, as years go by, I think that story still travels through the grapevines here and there. And I do meet people sometimes. They're like, wow, I've, I've heard about you. And I'm like, oh, God, what do you mean? They're like that whole you know, Vanguard performance thing with the dancers checks, like blah, blah, blah. And uh, it, it it means a lot, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so by you basically um, calling the union, following up on emails, did you what, threaten to sue? Like, I mean, to really make something change? At that point, I, so I, I at that point, I got on the board with SAG-AFTRA for our, dan- our dancers, like the dancer committee. And I fought really hard. I fought really hard on contracts. I, a big part of uh, our our standing now music video contract and, you know, putting in those rates and regulations and rules and stipulations. And at that point, I couldn't do anything in my own power. Could I have sued? Definitely. I could have sued that agent. I have, you know, screenshots and this and that of everything, email trails. I just didn't have the money or the time to do that. And I said, you yeah. know what? I'm and gonna- it's exhausting to it's sue exhausting. someone. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn and study and become on the board. And again, rise above and just be able to just look down at people and say, Fuck you. That's like my whole. So motto. now you're still on the board. Yeah. Still on the board. Uh, you know, we haven't really had to do anything the past like year or two, but, um, yeah, yeah still a part of a lot of big decisions and, and contract negotiations. Yeah. I will always, always, always. And so when it comes to like these artists, there's the ones that we talked about, like the Justins and, uh, who else is pretty good about rate, like Janet, Madonna, Madonna's Janet, great with her yeah. rates. 
But I, well, Madonna has to be great with her rates because she is a living nightmare legend. to work yeah. with. But she's a legend. She's a legend. Yeah. So, I've never worked you with know, her, so, but I, I've, I've heard some funny Oh stories. my God. The stories I've heard about Madonna, she is out of her freaking mind. And I mean, it's physical warfare, psychological warfare. She's I mean, her, her stuff is intense. Yeah. Like she just is an intense lady. You could just tell. And like, I I'm good on love that. Her. I'll watch you from afar. But yeah. Yeah. And so I think also a, a big drive of mine to become a choreographer and be, to become in charge of the boss is to be able to make rates and make a change. And it's funny because I've done so many jobs where I get an email. And it's like, Oh, Danny, sorry. Sadly, this is a little below union or industry standard. Do you still want to accept? And I was like, you know what? I can't wait to become a choreographer one day and never fucking let a dancer on a job of mine do a job under industry standard. Or even, I don't even want mm -hmm. to have an industry standard rate on stuff I work on. So I've done, and you know, I, I swear my, my grandma, I have not worked on any job that has been industry standard or below. I always, and, and, and I've seen how easy it is to, to make that footprint. And I'm like, why isn't this a normal thing? And every job I go on, I'm like, this is what the dancers are making. And everyone's like, okay, wow. That's, that's, yeah, that's great. Or, or if they're like, oh, why, why that? I've, I've, I've always paid them this. And then I explain to them, this is where we're at. I explain what they're doing. I explain the caliber we're hiring and they are always very receptive to it. So it's like, if you have yeah. confidence in yourself to stand up and be like, these are what my dancers are making. These are what the dancers for this project are making. They're like, okay. All right. Hey. Like, it's not that hard. Jeez. And that's, yeah, just that's my thing. You stand up to them. You really do. But I think with just anything. You just gotta stand up. Make your voice freaking heard. Yeah. You don't have to be a bitch about it. You can just be like, hey, educate them. And that's what I've, I've learned. I've, I think for a while I was, I came at it with a chip on my shoulder. I thought I was like, oh, everyone's out to get me. Everyone's out to cut me and, and you know, shortcut me. But I was like, you know what? People just need to be educated. Yeah, and, and that's the main thing. And they're really excited to learn and be like, wow, I never knew that. I never knew that was your industry standard and we were just giving that when if we have budget we could give this or we have a budget of 50 grand for dancers instead of hiring 20 let's just hire eight and pay them more you know sure. and that's a lot of the times what i'll do they'll be like this is our budget i'm like okay cool you want 10 let's just do six i'll give you the same and end product but now everyone will be paid and happier and they're like okay great do you, if you've been dancing a longer time do you get paid more money if you go, like let's say you go on tour oh like seniority like a seniority thing. Yeah. I've done five tours and so-and-so has just never done one, but she's on the same tour as I am. Are we going to make the same rate? Yeah, you're gonna. Unless oh. you've been with Pink, or I'm saying Pink because I know she does this, and, and I think Katie, there's a couple other artists that do seniority. If you've been with that artist for a long time, they'll do okay. a different rate. But let's say you've done 50 tours and then you go on to another new artist like Selena Gomez, you're going to get the same rate as the other dancers, unless you've been with Selena for years. But sure. when I did Demi, the Demi tour, I, I, that's, that's so interesting that you said that I changed the rate because I was like, that's not fair. We have, I have, I have one dancer, his name is Sohei. He's been on tour with uh, tours with Madonna, like Michael Jackson, like all these people. Oh my God. Like he's a living legend, Kylie Minogue, like all these people. And I'm like, that boy is not going to make the same amount as this other boy that this is his first tour. That, that, that's not fair. That's like a. Right. It's a doctor and a nurse. Yeah. So I did I did a tiered payment system for the Demi tour and I thought it was very fair and everyone was, you know, very appreciative and respectful of it and wound up working yeah. great. Yeah. And that's a perfect place to end the episode. We'll end it on that note. 
going on tour with Demi freaking Lovato. And we'll come back next week for part two of the conversation. We'll talk about, of course, the heroin overdose that Demi had that almost killed her, that Danny was blamed for, her entire career and life imploding, then a global pandemic taking out the dance industry. So what's happening to present-day Danny after all the dirty laundry and everything's aired out? The truth shall set you free. We'll talk about what's going on in Danny's life now and dive into that experience with her on next week's episode. So I've been doing a lot of reflecting the last couple of weeks, and I've been going back and reading some of my old journal entries. Yeah, I love to write in a journal. It's great for my mental health. I like to brain drain things out. I don't always go back and read old entries, but for this specific situation of like a pandemic, I was just curious to see where my mind was at this exact time last year. Uh, so I went back and I was just reading some entries. And in one of them, it was right before Easter. And I was writing about how, one, I was feeling so depressed. Depressed because I was out of work. I was eating like shit. I hadn't seen any friends. I couldn't even see my family for Easter. And I just felt so isolated and worthless in a way. And, and in that same entry of my journal, I'm talking about good news, which is I have producers that want to do a podcast and a network that wants to sign me. And I'm really looking forward to doing this podcast and they want it to come out really soon. But I'm worried because I'm depressed and, and I don't think I'll be a good host because I'm freaking bummed all the time. And I don't want to be known as like the freaking Debbie Downer host. So I, I'm going to ask if I could push the release date and, and maybe it should be in the summer because you know, they're saying that the summer, everything might be opened up again. So maybe by like June or July, I could actually be in a physical studio with the producer with actual guests in person. Because if I were to do it now, it would just be like in my closet alone. And I'm already freaking depressed. Like this isn't going to be good for the listeners. So um, that was kind of my headspace. And I thought I got to wait for the perfect time to to launch this podcast. And I ended up waiting it out a little bit longer, a few more months. Uh, but we were still deep in a pandemic. Things didn't open up and it didn't look like things were going to be opening up for a while. I mean, now there's a little light at the end of the tunnel. Vaccinations are made available. If you want one, you can get one uh, for the most part. And I see that restaurants and, and places of work and, and things are just slowly starting to kind of get back to a newer normal. But it feels like there's a little bit more control of the situation and light at the end of the tunnel, which is a great thing. But even when we decided to launch this podcast, again, we were still in the middle of a pandemic. It wasn't the ideal time. And I still had reservation deep inside me that I was like, this isn't the best time to launch it. Oh, God, I'm going to regret doing this. And you only get one real chance to like come out the gate with a podcast, you know, to get people's trust and in, in giving of their time to listen to you. So I just really didn't want to mess it up. And I know um, a lot of the listeners that I have came from, you know, other podcasts I've been on, like, like Caitlin's and Ariel's. And and I knew that I was doing this as a solo mission. So that gave me a sense of anxiety, too, because I didn't have, you know, a counterpart to to run the show with me. So I was just feeling all that pressure. But but now, you know, over 20 episodes in, it's the best decision I could have made. And yeah, I know I wasn't in the best place mentally. And I was still kind of struggling with feeling anxiety and depression, as a lot of people are. And I, it wasn't, again, the ideal time. But, but what I'm trying to say is I'm so glad that I did it. And I'm so happy that I'm still able to do this podcast with you guys. And we've built this little community together. And a lot of you have been sharing your stories and opening up. And I realized that this podcast has is, is been a huge part of my mental health and, and helping me so much. And not to get emotional, but I just I thank you guys so much 
for being so supportive and so kind and keeping the conversation going. And, you know, it's not an easy thing to do a podcast and you giving of your time. Again, it means so much. And, you know, this little shit show of a podcast, there's thousands of podcasts that are launching into the world every single day. So for you to give your time and spend it here with me, uh, it does mean a lot and I value it so much. So I just want to say I appreciate you. And if you're struggling with mental health, and you're going through it, or you're wanting to do a business or do something for yourself, but you've been putting it off because it's not the right timing. I know that better than anyone when it comes to like stalling things because it's not perfect timing. I'm just telling you to just do it uh, and you won't regret it. Just throw yourself into it, even if you don't feel like you're going to be perfect at it and you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. And I think that if I could just give you that little push to just go out there and freaking do it, whether it be taking care of your health. And I have one girlfriend of mine and she's like, I've literally let myself go for the last five for six months. Um, I haven't worked out at all. And, and she's going through it right now. She's like, it's so weird to work out again and, and to get into that rhythm of like trying to take care of herself. Um, but she's just doing it one day at a time. And I've been there too. So whether it be your mental health, your physical health, a job, a relationship, or anything like that, if you are holding yourself back, not to get all TED talky about it, but like just freaking go in there and just do it now because you won't regret it. And there's no perfect time for anything. Now, right now is the perfect time is what I'm getting at. And my listeners are the ones who have really taught me that. And you've been so supportive of this journey. So again, thank you. And, and I mentioned every podcast that the best way to support a new podcast is to, you know, give feedback on Apple Podcasts for the reviews. Writing a review, subscribing, and leaving a five-star rating is the best way to support an up-and-coming podcast, any podcast for that matter, but specifically new ones. So thank you for taking the time to, to write a review. And it doesn't have to be a long review. It could just be a freaking emoji. It could be anything you want it to be. Uh, a lot of you writing reviews are first-time reviewers, myself included. When I started writing reviews for podcasts, I'd never done it, but there was a host that recommended, hey, if you like the podcast, please leave a review. It helps us so much. And it does. It goes into the analytics um, and the algorithm, and it like helps with advertisers. It, it makes a world of difference. I want to give a special shout out to some of my low life listeners who have taken the time to write a review. And again, I read every single one of them. And oh, I appreciate you so much. Okay, so Sarah C.S. Uh, she gave a five star rating and she wrote, okay, low. I have zero clue how to even write a review, but you've inspired me to do so because you're just that good. I feel like I found a best friend that does all the talking and I just listen and laugh. <laughs> so as an introvert, this is the perfect friendship, isn't it though? The perfect introverted friendship. Thank you for making my commute from Indio to LA much more enjoyable on at least one of the three days I commute. None of your episodes have failed to make me smile. Thank you. Sarah, first of all, I've done that commute and it's aggressive, but I hope you're stopping at Hadley's and getting yourself a little date shake. And I'm so happy that I could be your introverted friend on your journey from Indio. God, I can't wait to go back to Indio to see my fam. I want to give another shout out to Abby Knack. I think that's how I say it. It's A-B-B-R-Y-N-A-C, who left a comment on Apple Podcasts. And this person wrote, Lo is my all-time favorite person to listen to. I love when he talks about relationships, family, and the queen. So relatable. and makes me laugh out loud. He's got me through some tough days. Mm, I love that. Uh, would love some more dookie action, perhaps. All right, Abby, you're about to get some more dookie action. Dookie, get over here and give her some love. There's some dookie action for you. 
This is my favorite weekend coming up. I love spring, big fan of Easter, just because I love all the colors. And this is the queen's favorite holiday too, just because we deck out the house with all the flowers and we do a little Easter egg hunt. And this year we could actually do it uh, because most people in our family are getting vaccinated, which is great. Um, So we're able to spend some time together this year. And I just get so into Easter. I love making freaking Easter baskets. I make them every year. You'll see on Instagram, I'll be posting about me making these little Mexican Easter baskets. I'll put like tahine and a bunch of other stuff that I love. It's like Oprah's favorite things, uh, but like a ghetto version because I'll put like spam, salt and vinegar chips, like all the stuff that I love. Uh, But I'll make these little Easter baskets for my friends. And then I deliver them door to door. Um, And that's how I'll be spending this weekend. I'll be doing that. And of course, sipping on some mimosas. Oh, I just learned about a Hawaiian mimosa. Never tried it, but it's champagne, coconut rum, pineapple juice, and a little bit of grenadine. They call that a Hawaiian mimosa. So I'm going to be making those over the weekend, getting a little tipsy. And I hope you do the same. Enjoy mimosa. Have a drink, queen. And don't forget to drink your water, puta, because I know you're thirsty. I love you and I'm out. <laughs> 